Welcome to What's Korean Cinema, episode 52 on the Ring Virus. Korean cinema of 1999 threw their hat into the J-horror ring by making a ring of their own. In 1998, we all collectively crapped our pants as Hideo Nakata's 19, uh, 1998 Japanese horror film Ring, aka Ringu, was released and earned classic status in the process. So a year afterwards, with a, bu- with a book and a movie to draw inspiration from, Korean filmmakers went to work and made the Ring virus. My name is Kenny B, and with me is Paul Quinn of Hangul Celluloid to... Uh, to uh, go back to these times where, where we all uh, collectively uh, crapped our pants as uh, as that uh, long-haired lady came out of the thing. We won't spoil that, though. Indeed. Good evening, everybody. Or good morning, whatever time you're listening to this. How you doing? It's an episode where we will spoil certain things, but not the big things out of the movies. Because we're going to talk a little bit about the differences across the media that this whole uh, affair, this whole circus uh, represents. But... Uh, I mean, if you haven't seen the movies, uh, Japanese or Korean, then consider this a spoiler episode, but we won't spoil like the final two minutes or final five minutes or anything like well, that. Well, you so. know, I mean, ho- hopefully the spoilers will be no more than you would read in a what would be called a spoiler-free synopsis. We'll give you a few pointers to characters and differences in characters, but it's not going to give the story away. Indeed. So let's, um, let's get going uh, here. We're... Um, Recording this, uh, I mean, you always hear this episode a few months afterwards, but uh, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, uh, in a few months uh, we're all uh, uh, sitting at home and enjoying uh, lockdown and acting appropriately as lockdown is uh, is happening. So, but uh, I hope you're all taking care of yourselves, uh, Korean cinema fans or Hong Kong cinema fans or whatever. And uh, indeed that uh, you, Paul Quinn, is uh, taking care of yourself. Uh, I mean, have you like um, reduced your uh, two watch Pile significantly, significantly during 2020 and 2021. I have, I, you know, I, I certainly have. You know, I was always one of those. Look, I need to change that, cinema. I ran out of Korean cinema. <laughs> but yeah, there's kind of that, and it's the whole sitting at, at home thing where there's some nights where you're just a bit knackered and you think, you know what, this is gonna my review will be done and online by Sunday, so I'll watch it Friday rather than Thursday because I just have I've been cooking all day and I'm knackered. It, that's changed for the better you know i'm now able to i've got so much time because i'm at home all the time i can sit and watch something and then go and do something and then come back and watch something else so it's almost better in terms of that um at the very start of all this i used to be the guy who went to coffee shops and wrote there or went to restaurants and wrote after that and sort of home was home so it was really difficult for me to get used to writing at home but that's getting better as well. So it's it's still a work in progress. I'm not as proactive as I used to be or would want to be. But it's getting back there slowly but surely. So thank you, lockdown. Have you um, been the guy turning into the guy that now follows Korean series, Korean drama, whether they're epic amount of episodes to them or not? I've always done the odd one here and the odd one there you know really following whoever is is involved you know um i that hasn't really changed i'm still more a movie guy than than a tv series guy although the series is that i like i love you know if you take the past week i've watched in the past four days i've watched four films four films about involving phones i don't think i'll ever answer (laughs) my phone again you know so did you rewatch Korea's phone? Therefore, or... I did. I, I'm currently there's a, a 
fairly recent-ish, if you call 2020 fairly recent-ish, since nothing much has been released, really. Korean film called Call, funnily enough, or The Call, um, star, starring Park shin That's a Netflix joint, isn't it? It's a, it's a Netflix release, yeah. And I've always had a, a bit of a problem with a lot of the Netflix releases because they seem to, first half seems to be great, and then there's something that just sits really badly with me but so I, I was interested to see it and it it blew me away i was really you know really impressed one of the best korean horrors of the last couple of years as far as i'm concerned so i did i went and rewatched phone just to to look back at you know classic stuff in relation to that and then of course we're doing the ring virus now and i rewatched ringu so i could just get a vibe of how i remembered it which I remembered it very, very incorrectly, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Well, let's get into it. Uh, some contact information and some plugging. Uh, first of all, uh, we mentioned this every now and again on our, on our episodes. Uh, me and Paul Quinn did the audio commentary for the Mondo Macabro Blu-ray release of Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death, uh, a film by Kim Ki-young. That is still in print and uh, out there. Occasionally, Mondo Macabro does... Uh, sales so they, they'll probably knock a few bucks uh, off that release so uh, if you're curious about that uh, very surreal very uh, it screws with your um, mind that uh, <laughs> meditation on uh, free will and uh, featuring cancer and pastry and drinking and uh, talking heads <laughs> things like that then uh, uh, 2000 year old women let's not forget the 2000 year old women yeah exactly so if that's uh, up your alley it's really hard to like pl- plug plug that movie properly with a synopsis because it's kind of all over the place but in a good way i actually finally watched the um the finished disc because I, I'd watched the movie three or four times before the commentary very fresh in my mind so i, I didn't feel the need to jump all over the disc immediately but i watched it over the christmas break in 2020 and it was really cool to watch the final product because we didn't have the sort of finished hd print to yeah, look yeah. at so the quality we were working out from a working working from from a working standpoint that wasn't the finished uh finished transfer and the finished tweaks weren't in place so it was really cool to see it and they did a bang up job uh, considering the source was difficult to work with Um, there are some imperfections that they simply could not get rid of but largely it really looks uh, quite uh, splendid not if you're the you know the 4k ultra hd crowd that demands perfection from 70s cinema even like you you need to withstand the fact that uh, there are some imperfections there uh, but uh, it really is a, sp- a splendid disc, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm gonna—I haven't yet, but I will go through the uh, video supplements because those I haven't seen. I obviously didn't work on those. You worked on the video supplements, um, and uh, I did. I did. Why don't you tell the listeners who do not know uh, why you were were involved in that section as well? Um, essentially, they were doing a load of interviews with me and actress Lee Washi and a lot of directors who had either worked with Kim Ki Young or were fans of Kim Ki Young. And the guy who was doing the interviews is a guy in Korea that, that Jared from Mondo knows very well, but he's not a film guy. So Jared got in touch with me and said, could you put together the questions for the interviews? And because I was doing one, it made sense for me to do them all so I could keep everything fresh and related to specific people and specific sections that they were involved in or that they would know to reference. It was a lot of fun. I'm I'm very proud that 
I, I'm sure it doesn't say anywhere on the disc that I did those, but it's just nice from a personal point of view to know that you're you're watching an interview with Libashi and she's answering my questions. It sort of gives me a little a little tickle, you know. Well, well done, because uh, I know you you you're thoughtful and uh, you you come at these things with. Uh, Uh, perspective and knowledge and uh, context and I'm sure that's going to be uh, a good set of video programs so looking forward to um, to that well that's the plan and let's let's hope that's the case <laughs> it's not like like I'm dissatisfied Paul like private message you <laughs> right now like bad job bad job <laughs> like it it's not going to happen uh, I'm sure it's going to be enlightening for uh, for a newbie like me because uh, I can know more about Kim Young than I do of her So uh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. T- told a little bit more, uh, some stories of her during the commentary, but I think there's more in the video um, supplements there's as a, well. There's a fair, there's a fair bit more, yeah. Uh, so we'll link to uh, the Mondo Macabro website where you can buy a woman chasing the butterfly of death on Blu-ray. In the meantime, uh, for all the rest of the podcast on Fire Network, uh, plugging here. So for all your podcast on Fire Network needs, go to podcastonfire.com where you'll find the back catalog of what's Korean cinema, including our bonus episodes, but we also do. Shows on Hong Kong cinema, new and old, Japanese cinema, adult-rated, uh, uh, adult-oriented, uh, adults-only cinema in the form of this weekend's lease. Some audio commentaries here and there and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, check it out. Uh, hit us up on social media. There's handy buttons at the top of our website. Go to uh, Facebook and go to Twitter. Uh, we have a discussion group on Facebook, for instance, that you can join, follow show updates and so forth and engage in the discussions and uh, subscribe to us on iTunes uh, rate review and uh, find us on a variety of other platforms such as Stitcher Radio Spotify and even um, Google Play I think automatically has added us and uh, a lot of other podcatchers so wherever you get your podcasts I think we're there most of the time. Anyway, um, my writing is available over on SoGoodReviews.com. I deal in Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies mostly. And my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. You're talking off your website, so throw out the plug for uh, for the website. My website is at HangulCelluloid.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash HangulCelluloid. Um, I'm on Twitter at, at HangulCelluloid. And if you go to the website, as with podcasts on fire there are a couple of little buttons linking you to the facebook feed and the twitter feed and in fact the last three or four of my tweets are in a little tweet box on the home page so even if you can't find those buttons which are right in front of you if you just hit that it'll take you to wherever you need to be so you know if you're interested in korean cinema and the like go and have a, a little hug about and see what you find Was there any point in like uh, compi- compiling either, either a written or a mental list of top 20 or top 10 movies of 2020 or there were simply too few movies released even in Korea? Simply far, far, far too few. It's all over the last few years. It's been a case of it's either been, you know, flood or famine. The famine has been so bad that even the stuff that's released, it's taken so long to come through because it's not being shown anywhere. You know, I mean, even if you look at this year's London Korean Film Festival, you know, uh, the screeners that were available to critics, there were five films and usually they're over 50. So it's been challenging. So I've been in terms of finding stuff and watching stuff, I've been extra careful to look for stuff that I know will be of interest, whether good or bad, you know, something that will provoke. A response rather than just 
grabbing one of 20 things because it's contemporary and you know fewer people are talking about it or whatever so I've, it, it's sort of it's changed what i've had to do but did you uh did, did you uh were you selective with the zombie output or did you review both peninsula and uh, uh what is the other one on netflix it's just called a live uh i haven't done a live as yet it will be forthcoming quite soon because it's we're we're in the midst of a as i mentioned the call uh, starring park Chinny, she's in a live as well so you know it's another one of my little obsessions where i've checked her latest one out and i want to check out the one she did after that but call was excuse the pun i really apologize but call really kind of called to me simply because it's it's a, a story of two characters chatting over a 20-year different period over the phone you know and that goes back to the whole across time stories from new korean cinema so it just it really grabbed me as both classic and contemporary so that's why i went for that first it's like uh, almost um well I'm, i'm not saying it is but uh, when you said that i was like yeah frequency the well american, yeah, the the, american movie <laughs> but obviously you know there's an old 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 new korean cinema f- film called ditto that is essentially frequency the male female quotient changes but it's essentially the same story i thought and i won't go into great detail here because we're going to talk about the ring virus but i thought call would be partly the same but they take it to a wholly different level well you can do things with that setup though so it's not like frequency owns the, that setup or anything so. totally you know and it's just it's one of those things where when horror works if it's done well it works and it can still surprise you which is which is great to know as as we carry on through contemporary through contemporary through contemporary yeah yeah, yeah i dig the fact that we have some recent uh, korean cinema on netflix whether that's a result of uh, well we gotta show it somewhere so and, and netflix is interested I, i don't know if that's the case or not or if deals were in place for call or alive but uh, it's certainly it's a global rollout so that that's certainly cool and um, i'm not a frequent netflix watcher but i have like for, for instance alive in my queue and i'll be sure to add call as well uh, but i don't want to overload on a watch list of stuff like uh, yeah i'll, totally, I'll, I'll totally. take two and uh, then i'll return to netflix in like a month's time because I, i i do take those breaks because i watch other things on other media as well so totally but just you know on a very basic level it is nice to have it there because netflix is so easy rather than trying to get screeners or whatever um it just it makes it easy and if it's a great film you feel extra satisfied for no effort and that that's that's why i like it indeed well let's uh, do a rundown here of uh, what's to come in this episode on the ring virus going back to 1998 and first we'll talk a little bit of the original japanese novel that led to movies and tv series uh, several tv series in japan uh, we also talked the reception of uh, the ring virus in korea and uh, a little of the works of its uh, director and then we conclude the episode by reviewing and discussing the movie in more detail and our place time stamps in the show post in case you need to navigate the episode so here we go the ring virus from 1999 and plot from imdb goes as follows 
after the mysterious death of her niece and other three teenagers on the same hour and with the symptoms of heart attacks. The journalist Sun Ju, played by Shin Eun Kyung, decides to investigate their last uh, moments. Uh, she discovers that the four friends had just watched a videotape exactly one week before their collective uh, deaths. She travels to the resort uh, they were all staying at. By the way, it, it, this is obviously very familiar to persons who have viewed Hideo Nakata's um, ring. So, so really, it, it could have been that movie's plot, but uh, I took it specifically from uh, the ring virus. Uh, she travels to the resort uh, where we're all staying and finds the deadly video. And after watching the weird footage, her telephone rings. When she takes a picture of herself, she sees the image blurred the same way that happened with the teenagers. Uh, she makes a copy of the curse tape to her acquaintance, the skeptical coroner Choi Yul, played by Jung Jin Young. And together they seek uh, for a hint and find that the tape might be connected to the girl or the woman Park Eun Su, a psychic that a psychic girl that disappeared years ago. Uh, unlike Ringo, Ringu, I think uh, it, this movie actually has a designated actress for that uh, critical part that turned into a horror icon. But I, I think we'll mm-hmm. leave that to later in the discussion. Who they actually got in Korea to play that part? I don't think in Japan we've ever gotten the notion that oh that big actress got to play Sadako. When yeah, they, yeah, yeah. It, it seemed like it's been anonymous, but it turns out if you if you go into the filmography, oh no, <laughs> the girl they picked for the Korea Korea Sadako, not anonymous, not anymore. <laughs> anyway. uh, 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 uh. Uh, but uh, anyway, together they seek for a hint and they find that the tape might be connected to the character Park Unsu, a psychic girl that disappeared years ago. When Sun Ju's little daughter watches the movie, Sun Ju has a stronger reason to unravel the mystery and to save her daughter and her own life. So again, this property goes back to a 1991 mystery horror novel called Ringu or Ring by Koji Suzuki. Eventually, that's born a trilogy with Ring, 1995's Spiral, and 1998's Loop. It had an earlier TV adaptation in Japan. Remember the movie, Hideo Nakata's movie came out in 1998 and blew the doors off and opened up that J-horror genre like you read about. But it had an earlier TV adaptation called Ring Kansenban. And it's said to be quite faithful to the book, but it's safe to assume that the Hideo Nakata-helmed 1990 movie was was what made the story blow up, at least globally anyway. I mean, I don't think anyone knew of the Ring books uh, to a large degree until the movie hit them. Again, made us all uh, scared to death, really. It wasn't effective. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I we will get into this, I'm sure, but I, I don't remember having anything largely spoiled by the time I got to Ringu. The surprises, particularly towards the end, they, they were genuine surprises. I just remember that people were like, this is scary. I mean, we knew of the setup, but uh, thankfully no one had like, hey, <laughs> remember what happens at the end of it? Stop it! Shut up! I want to hear. Uh, so I had that unspoiled. Un- unlike a friend of mine in school spoiled the ending of Seven to me, but jokingly said like, uh, well, too bad that thing happens. <laughs> well, sure, sure, that will no, not happen. thanks. Great. Oh boy, it happened. But uh, we won't spoil that either because people might not have watched Seven, so... Uh, but uh, in terms of the 1998 movie, that was a hit with both audiences and critics at the time of release. And it triggered the need to adapt the second book, Spiral. And that was released in 1998 as well. It apparently was very poorly received. So poorly received that producers leaned on Hideo Nakata again. And Ring 2 was released in 1999 as more of a sequel to movie 1 rather than an adaptation, a second adaptation of the second book. 
which is very confusing about uh, it, it, the, the commercial machine that works. Like, it failed, it failed, get him back, get him back, make it work again. Uh, but but don't like uh, adhere to any book thing. So <laughs> Because uh, the book thing doesn't work for audiences. So And I didn't know that. Uh, so uh, that's very interesting how Japanese cinema navigated the, the property uh, back in the day. Uh, box office was restored because Ring, Ring 2 was um, uh, was a success. Uh, 2000 also saw a prequel movie called Ring Zero, Birthday, based on a short story by the original author Koji Suzuki. Uh, I've seen it once, I remember enjoying it uh, quite a bit. A dramatic backstory for the uh, Sadako character. It was not hugely horror-tinted. It was quite effective. Uh, and TV audiences also got two TV series in the form of Ring, the final chapter, and and uh, Spiral, uh, yet again. So... Uh, we also, in the mainstream, got uh, an American remake uh, in 2002. It was adapted as The Ring, uh, a quite successful remake, and arguably, arguably paved the way for more such projects as we su- subsequently saw The Grudge, Dark Water, One Missed Call, Hong Kong's VI, and Korea's A Tale of Two Sisters remade to various, various degrees of success. Let, let's not forget the, the big, prolonged section in Scary Movie 3, with Pamela Anderson talking about the the ring to her friend, both with comments about their unfeasibly false breasts, you know, classic in it, of the genre, absolutely awful movie. Those spoof movies, they were funny ones. I'm not talking that serious necessarily, but it's amazing how how, how spoof movies were just spot on for a while, mm. like Airplane. Amazing, Naked Gun. Amazing, Hot Shots. Amazing, and then like Scary Movie, One, Two, Three, Four, Five. Okay, it's not amazing anymore because uh, you realize you got to be clever to make those movies work, man. Yeah, totally. Uh, even though those makers, I think, worked on some of those scary movies, and uh, they, they can't all be uh, be successes and uh, clinch the humor aspects every every time. But um, there, there, there was a reason I sort of said like I, I think uh, they've hit their peak, and uh, I didn't bother with the scary movies. But you did your research and went into the spoof territory that the ring generated. It was just complete coincidence. You know, we were we were preparing to do this. I was getting around to pulling the Ring Virus DVD out and Scary Movie 3 just happened to be on the night before on normal television. And, you know, there's nothing else on. I don't know what it's like where you are, Kenny, but um, here in lockdown, they seem to have got to the point where they're showing the same movies and the same TV shows every two or three days. So anything different that's on, you'll just watch it because it's different. And it just happened to be that. And that's a piece of luck. I mean, it could. You, like, it's not like everyone in know, knows that in Scary Movie Three they parodied a ring. I mean, no one cares. Uh, so it, it, it's a major coincidence that. Uh, I mean, what happened? Were you like, yeah, yeah, whatever? Wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, what's happening? This is relevant to the research. Hurrah! <laughs> well, exactly. And I was like, well, this could be interesting. And then you think, oh no, actually, it's not. No, it's not. But hey. Pamela, so whatever. Maybe they repeated the gag that I know was in Scary Movie 1, you know, in free, where they pick up the phone after they watch the video, they pick up the phone, and someone says, What's up? Yeah, yeah there's a bit of that as well. You know, I mean, they, it's sort of, huh, you know, they're all very, very semi. We were familiar with um, the Japanese wave of horror movies because uh, we, we follow movies to an enough extent, uh, you know, even back then. Uh, we, we knew of the hype and we knew of the wave that was coming out of Japan. And I mean, since local availability was great in the UK via labels such as Tartan and their Asia Extreme line, 
I mean, I, I wanted to get your perspective on this, but for me, I got my fill after a few of them, like Ring. And, and I saw Ring 2 and Ring Zero. And I saw Dark Water. And I think I didn't pursue a lot of specifically Japanese uh, horror movies after that. I've never seen any grudge version. I haven't seen Death Note. So I, I think I was simply done and satisfied after a while. But how was your experience, if you can remember? I mean, did, was it infatuating or did you feel like these are good, but I, I think I'm done? Half and half. I mean, I, I was almost on your trajectory for about about half the time. I mean, when, when all this was going off, I hadn't been, I'd moved to London not, not long before, really. And when I'd been in Ireland, we'd always had, you know, the monkey and the water margin and, and Asian TV shows, admittedly dubbed, but they were part of what you did. So whenever I was looking for movies, having got completely bored with Hollywood, I just gravitated towards tartan and Asian stuff because the covers looked cool. I had no clue whether they were Japanese, Taiwanese or Korean. It it it, it was just grabbing something that looked interesting. And that's where I saw, you know, Dark Water, The Eye, The Ring. And I loved them. And I, I was hitting the point where I was starting to think I've kind of had my fill. And that's when I inadvertently hit things like Taylor Two Sisters, Tell Me Something, you know, H, Dead Friend, you know, the the Korean, classic Korean horrors that were in among those that I wasn't aware of. And that's when, that's when this all started. That's when I pulled all the DVDs I had out and looked on the back of every one of my favorites to see where it was from. And they were all from Korea. So just as my fill of Japanese horror was getting there, I found Korean horror and it didn't seem to win, not for a lot of years, because they were so good. The movies you're describing aren't cut from the same template either, whether uh, because some of them are thrillers, some of them are horror movies, but uh, they're not, you know, uh, Tale of Two Sisters 2, 3 and 4 or, or yeah, Save totally. Me material like that. I mean, they, not to say Dark Water is Save Me material, but I can just imagine that, that movies came out even out of Japan that featured the manifestation of ghosts and spirits with the long hair and whatever and that 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 image got recycled one too many times certainly happened in hong kong well totally and you know it happened in korea as well but you know like you said there were so many i, I will talk about what an important period this was for korean cinema in a little bit but it was such an important period that horror especially was was coming from all angles and they weren't just doing the oh look white-faced long-haired ghost appearing with their face right in front of yours constantly they were they were excited to be able to be doing what they were doing so they went the extra mile and that that did a lot for korean cinema in general on on the subject of um remakes uh, i mean i watched the ring and it was sort of like uh, yeah it seems similar to the japanese one and the same surprises are in there and i guess it's okay but i i, I felt it was re- redundant but my favorite despite it having no surprises whatsoever because you know it's also similar to the japanese one is the u.s remake of dark water because uh, I, I think they got uh, they, they got to me dramatically that uh, that ghostly story uh, that has an emotional undercurrent and i think yeah, they had had this great cast who were all sort of uh, involved. I mean, I think Jennifer Connelly is great in Dark Water, and you got like uh, Tim Roth and John C. Riley, totally, and, uh, totally. Uh, Pete Possefwaite, if that, that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and I thought they did really well with Dark Water if we talk those uh, uh, those remake. Uh, the, the Uninvited, which was the remake of Tale of Two Sisters, is an example of uh, how not to do it. Oh uh, boy, really? Yeah, totally. And and most most of them are. I mean, Ring was was okay. You know, it had been so long since I'd actually seen the original Japanese that I was able to watch it and enjoy it, even though I didn't particularly find it scary. It certainly isn't the worst, you know, and that's for me what you look for in in American remakes. How bad is this going to be? Yeah, it was okay if you were not familiar with it, but seeing as they they, they really couldn't uh, veer that far away from it, I suppose. Um, uh, I don't know what they did with the second ring, and, and I believe that's the one what they brought where they brought in Hideo Nakata to helm the uh, Naomi Watts uh, sequel. But I don't know how that how similar that is to his Ring Two, or if they veered off uh, completely. Uh, no, no real interest to be honest. <laughs> kind of passed me by as well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, back to the Korean version of uh, the Ring then, in the form of the Ring Virus. It was released in. Uh, June of 1999, and they're claiming, because that sounds better, that they were looking more at the book rather than the Japanese movie when crafting their adaptation. They clearly were looking at the at the Japanese movie. You can't tell. Um, but the similarities uh, between the movies um, uh, exist, uh, therefore, such as a female lead, uh, images from the videotape are partially similar, the climax that we won't spoil. So, so I'm sure an, a real answer would be if you press the filmmakers, yeah, we read the book, we looked at the film and valued both because we like money and we work in a business. So you can't uh, be special and sort of like, we're going to do it completely different and be super truthful to the book. No, I, I think they they wanted to catch the uh, the wave that was still present uh, yeah. uh, coming in from Japan. I, I was just going to say, it does have to be said that the Ring Virus was the first ever co-production between korea and japan in the korean film industry um and i think that's at least partly why it it plays more to the book than the film that's as much the japanese influence as as the korean influence that's an assumption much on my part but it certainly it must have had something to do with it i mean you also have uh, i'm sure if you read the book that it would probably have leave a distinct like ideas of images that many filmmakers would want to replicate. Yeah, uh, yeah. Granted, the climax, the famous climax, is not actually in that book. It's one of the. It's in one of the other books. So, so they, they brought that from one of the other books. As a matter of fact, uh, but but it wasn't totally made up though. Uh, and and you'd want to hook your local audience as well as you present uh, parts of what they maybe saw in Ringo or heard of from Japan and then now you can watch it locally instead so I mean it's a business you, you have to sort of uh, create curiosity and uh, I'm sure you, they could drum up like a a promo campaign like now in Korea Ring, yeah, totally. ring is here our ring is here <laughs> yeah. uh, so some spoilers are coming up now because we'd like to discuss some details from the book that ended up in the Korean film but not the Japanese one and the wiki details some similarities uh, between the Korean film and the uh, Koji Suzuki book uh, that uh, it doesn't necessarily share with Hideo Nakata's film, uh, such as uh, like the videotape itself it contains uh, different images uh, in each film version, which I thought was really neat. Uh, that uh, the, those tapes are quite different, and uh, and like in the book. Ring virus, uh, the Ring Virus tape has embedded text messages such as uh, watch until the end, you will be eaten by the lost. And then at the end of the video, there's an ending text that says those that have viewed this tape 
are fated to die at this exact time seven days from now in order to survive you must and then the rest of the message is taped over and we realize only by the end how to break the curse and then to pass it on so i thought that was neat that they share the images of the well of course but um but everything everything else is different pretty much pretty much completely different so that was nice um the ring virus also goes into different aspects of analyzing the tape sequences which is present in the book uh, the coroner, uh, the character of Choi, which is uh, Ryuji in the book and the Japanese film, uh, they they divide the bits they're seeing into real and abstract, and they make the determination that the realistic images have dark, blurry edges and elements of darkness, which uh, Choi concludes are eye blinks. So, and and they really didn't go over that in um, in Ringo. And one of the aspects that Korea brought from the book about the, that Hideo Nakata didn't concern the character of Sadako or Unsu, uh, because she is depicted as having, and to quote the wiki, because I want, want to get this right, uh, both in the book and in the film, testicular feminization syndrome, meaning that she is anatomically female. Uh, and Sadako obviously is the, uh, is the spirit that... Uh, that has manifested uh, manifested the tape, if you will. Uh, again, don't want to spoil too much, but that, that's the the big the big baddie, if you will. Um, and she uh, she is anatomically female, except that she ha- has a pair of testes beneath her vagina, but not a penis. And there's a scene at the top of the Korean film hinting to this uh, content as uh, Sunju, the uh, journalist, is at an art gallery. And I think she talks to, to the owner about uh, the exhibition that symbolizes the, quote, beauty of women and strength uh, of men in one individual. So it's sort of a little sly hint of what's going on there. The ring virus also keep, keeps aspects of uh, Sadako or uh, Unsun's story, such as her being raped before being murdered and thrown down the well. But it seems like it was this movie's intention that, uh, again, spoilers, that it's her half-brother that rapes and murders her and then throws her into the well. In the book, it's Sadako's father that uh, whacks her over the head and then throws her in the well. And there's a similar uh, notion in the Japanese movie as well. So uh, um, we, we theorized, like, did, did, because because of this aspect is so unique to the Korean film, if um, this was their, their idea or not. Uh, it wasn't their idea, but you had some fears that um, th- this idea wouldn't be completely unfamiliar and uh, un-Korean this idea of uh, her uh, her having this syndrome this this whole thing from my point of view being a Korean film obsessive really fits with what was happening with Korean cinema at the time if you if you think back to the early 90s and I'll keep this as brief as possible loads of conglomerates after economic crisis and everything loads of conglomerates were investing in Korean films, Samsung, you know, Hyundai, etc., etc. And towards the end of the 90s, they started to step away and pass over the the investment opportunities to private companies, and they were far more daring. And during that time in society, that Korea always had a problem with relationships that weren't considered normal, the norm, you know, the married, traditional father mother you know wife husband and they they had quite a big problem with making disability not taboo you know a lot of people very very badly thought that the disabled should be not seen and not heard and certainly 
someone with an, a sexual anom- anomaly was almost seen as by by certain sectors as almost less human than a normal person and the idea of sexual contact with them was not only deeply frowned upon but korean filmmakers as they were given more freedom and more money jumped on it i mean if you look at old boy there's a a very unseemly relationship between two characters i'm not going to everybody knows what it is but i'm not going to give it away anyway um you look at oasis with the two disabled characters one of whom's just essentially been locked away for years end up you know he rapes her he has sex with her and they they got so obsessed with this that you can just you can almost feel the director here is looking at the story and grabbing it going this is what we're talking about it's so much in korean cinema we've got to include this and again that's an assumption but it fits so well when you look back at at how badly non-normal relationships were deemed um 1999 was also the year a film called yellow hair came out um which was two girls who were were sexually experimenting whether it be with older men younger men older women younger women and it was floored banned for decades in korea because it upset the supposed moral right and that's much because a lot of it was quite graphically shown but if you look at the rest of korean cinema they were saying the same thing they were saying we need to talk about this and i think that's certainly a part of why they would have been glad to include that section in this because it really fitted with a, a real social issue at the time. Uh, considering Ring was a global phenomenon, we all know that. Are there any numbers available for, or do you know how, how the Japanese film did in Korea in 1998? Uh, if we just, uh, it's a longer question, but if we stop right there, do you know if it uh, hit big in Korea? Oh, I've got all the figures. I spent an inordinate amount of time <laughs> over the past couple of days getting them all together. If if you'll let me do it in two stages, I'll give you the actual financial figures for each, and then I'll relate them to their year of release in Korea in terms of admissions compared to other films. If that's okay. Sure. Well, uh, and uh, and and the full question was really how. How did the Japanese film did in, uh, do in Korea, presumably if it was released in 1998, versus how did the local version, Ring Virus, um, do do at the box office? Because as you probably will explain in more detail, these two years, 1998 and 1999, they're pretty grand, year, grand years in Korean cinema. So... My, my my question and that you're going to detail were any of them able to compete with um, the big guns coming out of the local new wave of korean cinema yes but you're probably going to be very surprised in the late 90s korean cinema was really it was only getting used to competing with japanese cinema hollywood cinema under the quota system so one would have immediately assumed that a big japanese film like ringu would do really well and a domestic one coming after it would just be seen as a, a remake and quite the opposite the case if we look at the ring box office in korea in 1998 it made and i'll give it to you in dollars to make it easier rather than korean won it made 302,844 dollars that doesn't sound like a lot doesn't sound like a lot in terms of korean won it's 341 million but that that gives a a fake you know it it sounds like a big number but yeah so essentially 303 thousand dollars you compare that to 
the ring virus in the Korean box office the following year in 1999, it made $1,689,326. So it essentially multiplied it almost, you know, more than four times. It was four times more successful than ring had been, which surprised my entire body, to be honest with you. Like we've said, these, these two years were really big for Korean cinema. It's where it started to explode with this private investment. We got films that are, are hugely important in terms of the history of Korean cinema. In 1998, we had A Promise. We had Whispering Corridors. We had Christmas in August. In 99, we had Shiri, which we know broke box office records. We had Attack the Gas Station, Tell Me Something, Nowhere to Hide, Happy End. You know, these were big, big films that are still lauded as the best of the best today. And if we look at the admission numbers, in 1998, The Letter, a film, funnily enough, about a letter, a, a sort of romantic melodrama, uh, had 850,000 admissions. A Promise, 704,000. Whispering Corridors was 621,000. Christmas in August, 422,000. So we're up way in the hundreds of thousands of admissions. The Ring may have had 56,995 admissions. So... Comparing it to the top, you know, you're talking a sixteenth of it. It wouldn't even have hit the top fifty list, not even close. Uh, uh, was that the admission number for the Japanese ring? Yes, that's that's for for ring fifty six thousand compared to eight hundred and fifty thousand for the the top film that year. If we move to the ring virus, the Korean version in nineteen ninety nine, Shiri made like I said, broke box office records. It had 2,500,000 admissions. Tell Me Something had 730,000 admissions. The Ring Virus, 332,000 admissions. It was ninth in ninth in the top you know, 10, 20, whatever films. It, so in terms of comparing the two, you consider ticket prices are going to be the same. Ring at 56,000. Ring virus is 332,000. I think Ring virus won. And I would just like to say thank you, Korean cinema. <laughs> well, and versus the big guns, it uh, didn't do too badly at all. Uh, no, not uh, at all. Because it was not like uh, there was only 20 films released. Uh, it, it surely was a healthy production here in terms of how many movies were produced. A huge, a huge. I've seen top 150 film lists for 1999 that's you know they were just making films hand over fist so to come in number nine with a horror film that's a remake of a japanese film is is doing pretty damn well ring the japanese version did far far less well and uh, whether that was it was a small release or not to simply couldn't drum up interest i mean uh, you, you can speculate of course uh, but um, yeah uh, those are the numbers so uh, the movie was uh, written and directed by Kim Dong-bin, uh, and this is uh, one of four movies in his filmography. Um, he made his debut in 1995 with the movie Mom Has a Lover, and The Ring Virus was his second film. And uh, sporadic work has followed since, uh, with the rest of the movies uh, being 2005's Ghost Story Red Eye and 2012's Sleepless, uh, also reportedly a ghost story. So s- since we have the time, uh, why don't you give us a little breakdown of what you know of each of those uh, films in terms of... Uh, your opinion if you've seen all and how they did in korea go back to 1995 i'm actually going to start with um red eye from 2005 and i'll come to mom as a lover at the very end of this little bit for for a specific reason red eye and 
The Sleepless, which was his 2012 film, are both horror films. So they're they're in his wheelhouse. They they do what they're meant to do. Um, Red Eye is essentially a story about a train journey. A, a train journey in the 80s. There's a big accident. Um, 16 years later, a a, new, a girl starts a job as a train conductor, and she's on the same journey. The train stops inexplicably for 10 minutes and when it starts again all the newspapers have 80s dates on them all the imagery she's seen is the 80s and some weird occurrences and seemingly paranormal events start and we have to try and figure out whether what's happening is happening to her or if she's just seeing what actually happened to the original tree and it's quite creepy it's it's succinct it's decent enough it's certainly watchable and in terms of Box office, it bombed. Um, it made it made just over a million dollars. And if you compare it to the top films of, of that year, 2005, King and the Clown made 17 million. Typhoon made 18 million. Lady Vengeance, 15 million. Welcome to Dong McCall, 15 million. So just from even those names, you can see how hard a time it was going to have. Welcome to Dong McCall, that old fucking hell. Yeah, totally, wow. yeah. <laughs> it seems like such a recent watch and a recent Well, exactly. You know, and, 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 you know, I'd like to point out that I still refuse to call it Battleground 625. Well, it's a, it's a retitle, it isn't the original title, so you don't need to. No, totally. But, it, you know, it, in terms of even even in the lists, it's just not there. You know, 17, 18 million compared to 1 million for Red Eye. And that's a bit harsh on it because it's not that bad. It's a, it's a, a standard horror film. It's creepy. It's okay. If we move on to The Sleepless in 2012, again, another horror, quite a, a familiar story. Three characters wake up in the dark basement not knowing why they're there. One is found to have a secret. One's been subject to a traumatic event, and they're, they're trying to figure out why they're there, and the dead start to rise in the house, and it's a fight for survival while they can't get out. Works very well in a claustrophobic way, even though we've we've done we've seen the whole you know people caught in a you know, confined space and having to fight for their their life quite a lot through you know whatever country you want to talk about. Um, but it is decent enough. It had a gross taken of two million. If you compare that to that year, it's even in a worse position because 2012 was the year the thieves came out and Masquerade came out, and the thieves made 82 million dollars. Masquerade made seventy-seven million dollars, and The Sleepless made two million. So, sorry, but it it you know it it didn't get any higher. Excuse me, than eighty-fifth in the box office list. So it kind of bombed as well, which again is a shame. Finally, Mum has a lover. His his debut film in the, in, in the year of nineteen ninety-five. And uh, I'm gonna ask you something: Can anyone even see this movie? I was just about to say it is impossible to find. It is impossible to see. It made no money at the box office whatsoever. It got nowhere. I don't even know if it's still available to be seen anywhere. There have been, were a couple of reviews from the time, and consider it was 1995, not that many people were writing about Korean cinema, um, but it's said to be a, a clandestine affair of two couples that isn't very clandestine, is pretty predictable and kind of drab. But it was his first film, and it was a relationship drama which 
clearly wasn't his thing when he was destined to to move to the horror genre. That's where we are with those. He hasn't done very well outside the ring virus, but at least he kept going for a little while. It's still, still some fair opinions of uh, of his films. Like, uh, yeah, w- w- it's kind of like, why don't you give them a shot if you can find them? Uh, type of uh, summary here. You know, and it does have to be said if you you don't have to look too terribly hard to find the sleepless because it is a recent movie um red eyes not actually that hard to find either um and if you're bored and you just fancy you know a decently creepy horror flick you could do a lot worse it's not going to rock your socks off but you know you'll make it through to the end which is more than most of the characters do (laughs) well excellent Uh, let's uh, move on to the review of the ring virus then and as for my short opinion I've seen it once before because I bought it because I was curious, but um, didn't do any extensive notes or anything. Uh, I did watch the Japanese ring of the ring virus for preparation, but it really has been so long and really very few images and beats remained in my head aside from the obvious, now iconic ones. Uh, You'll never forget those. So I I wasn't burdened uh, with the sort of inevitable factor of comparing the two because uh, while they were not new movies, it was fresh enough watching the ring virus so you know the content had not been permanently stored up there uh, where i could quote the films to see so i was watching ring virus on its own terms therefore uh, it isn't this pulse pounding in your face horror mystery certainly isn't Uh, in fact it can feel quite um, distant and static and uh, i think that might be a problem for some viewers i think uh, not that you and i uh, well we liked it but no one else will like it we're not elitist but i think uh, viewers might find it quite boring but but largely i enjoyed the mystery it's okay and the dips into the creepy and ominous it's okay it's this story and I, i've I, i've i've enjoyed this uh, template when it was made in japan and uh def and since it is quite a familiar refread even though they deal in uh, added aspects from the book that the japanese movie didn't it's still largely the same movie and i i can't deny that uh, i still enjoy that um mystery but there are some aspects that i describe as distant and static that i'll get into that i want your take on but i'll i'll, I'll prompt you as we get to it, it it's okay it, 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 it's okay but um it's not uh, what i would introduce in terms of like korean cinema horror to new viewers i i think um, th- th- this might not be it uh, to be honest if you want to give them something to uh to, to get a first taste but uh, it's okay so uh, what about you uh, this uh, reviewing even though you haven't seen it for quite a while perhaps uh, I actually rewatched both this and Ringu just a couple of days ago, um, and I obviously went for the Ring virus first. I remembered a lot more about it than I did about Ringu. When I first watched it, I loved. I actually loved the moodiness of it, and yes, it is quite slow paced at times. Not a terribly long movie, though. So. Certainly not by by some Korean film standards. Um, what occurred to me, or certainly on a rewatch, is how it very much fits with a certain aspect of Korean horror from back in those days. Like I said, horror was coming from left, right and centre, but there were quite a few films that were deemed as horror and were even based on horrific stories that came across more as mystery thrillers. They kept a lot of the, the visceral nature of stuff off screen to the imagination and it fits very well with films like The Uninvited, like Sorum, which is actually one of my favourite films from that time, all deemed as horror, but all much more off-case, if you like, not 
bang, you know, not jump scare, not mm. jump scare. So that's kind of why it worked for me because I'm used to that. There are a lot of other Korean horrors from back in the day that are much more standard horror. But I think the ring virus for me works because it fits with that classic thing. I do like its moodiness. I think it's a lot moodier and almost darker in tone than Ringu. When I rewatched Ringu, I had remembered it being a lot more openly violent than it was. I was surprised, but a lot of it's quite brightly lit and a lot of the ring virus is kind of gloomy, which is sort of, it fitted for me. Certainly, I'd agree with you if I was going to point you to great Korean horror or classic Korean horror, I'd probably point you elsewhere first. But I certainly wouldn't ask you to throw this away. And I'd, you know, I'd, I'd encourage you to give it a shot. It's also nice, by the way, that a dated premise because this involves VHS tapes mm. and phones, you know, landlines. <laughs> Anything with technology usually has a short uh, shelf life. It's really nice that this dated premise has somehow survived yeah, um, totally. and uh, stays creepy because um, I, I enjoy the premise. Uh, um, and Kim Dong-bin seems uh, comfortable with... Um, horror tropes like fake-outs uh, in the beginning sequence uh, with the girl alone in the house. You know, the phone goes off and she's sort of like, oh no, it's 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 the phone call. And, you know, if you know the curse, that uh, it's, the, it's the phone call that's going to occur. Uh, but it's not. It's the Mr. Pushy Boyfriend. But he, they twist it a little bit here versus the Japanese movie because the call gets interrupted by our spirit, if you will. And uh, that beat doesn't come up in uh, the Japanese movie, so I was kind of like, hey, I don't, I don't remember if uh, you know, you might, you, you can feel safe during a call, and then it gets interrupted playing either weird sounds or singing or whatever or nothing. And and there's little sly hints here of the inherent uh, danger because kids and teens are glued to the two, so it hits that beat quite well. You sort of get uh, fairly uneasy, and. Versus Ringo, Ringo is good, uh, but versus Ringo, this one is a whole lot more quiet. Uh, Hideo Nakata likes to, in the moments of horror, he cranks score and sound design a little bit more, you know. Uh, the, the visuals aren't like stuttery and uh, frantic or anything, but uh, when there are reveals, you know, the ambient sounds go vroom, and that doesn't happen in Kim Dongbin's um, frame here, so, um, you know points for believing in that because there's a decent scare as the as the first girl actually does die and we cut to uh you know though you know it's not a freeze frame but it's a little it's a little stuttery yeah uh, some some stuttering images images and then boom we're uh we're we're into the whole funeral and all of that and the, the one scare he got where he really got me it's a similar narrative beat to the japanese movie when we cut to a black and white image of where the first girl died in the closet. That was really effective here in the, that uh, movie. So, uh, so it quickly goes into the investigation and all of that, and uh, there, there, there is a family connection, uh, just like the Japanese movie. You know, does it survive through and through by simply just being this sort of low-key investigation? I mean, for me, it wasn't really super creepy, but it's a decent enough creepy and ominous overall tale but it's really still just like the japanese movie an investigation with some dips into the images like seeing the photographs 
one one thing that struck me on rewatching Ringu is how much time he spends at the, the very start having people constantly talking about this video that have you heard about the video that'll kill you in seven days if you watch it have you watched it yes i have no i haven't oh yes i have yeah she interviews um she uh, she's a tv journalist so she interviews um schoolgirls and things like that and we get we get a couple of schoolgirls sort of one of who's seen it one hasn't and they're talking about it as well that's that goes on for a long time and i love the fact that the ring virus deals away with that you know when when we go in they have no idea that there is a cursed tape and it's only through their investigation and it does have to be said a few quite convoluted jumps to get them through their investigation you think how did you figure that out but i i do like the fact that they take it from scratch and there's not this big you know i i guess they assumed whether the box office reflected it or not i assume they they figured most people knew the idea behind the ring mm-hmm. um so they did maybe didn't need to but i think it it works in its favor that they don't so it can be that investigation from the first point and and what scares there are can come as they come and they they come very very briefly yeah they're, they're pretty effective i i i'd forgotten about the photograph and how people inflicted with the curse if they take a photograph of themselves that uh, those yeah, yeah. Uh, faces are twisted i'd forgotten about that image from from the the book and uh, from the movie and that it's certainly in the book uh, i'm sure and um w- what he's doing here kim dong bin is uh the movie is is well paced. It's on the move, but there's not a ton of like noise in the investigations. Uh, she just um, uh, uh, Sunju, the character, she just does her investigation. There's some, not a whole lot, as you hinted at, expository segments here. They just move on to it. It's it's quite quiet and distant and static. And the the distant is a, a sort of like I can deal with it, but it what it prevented me from, I suppose, investing in was in the characters. Um, what one of the negatives I do have is that I didn't really feel this uh, motherly connection necessarily between uh, Sunju and her daughter. Borderline seems like oh yeah, I have a daughter that she forgets <laughs> after a while. So they, they they don't they underplay that to a degree where. It, that wasn't as effective as I wanted it to be. Now I, I can still tap into the uh, to the template of the story and the examination. And uh, uh, but but one character that is problematic is the coroner, played by Jung Jin Young. Mm-hmm. He's a dick, and he's strange. And I don't know how it, it comes. You know, in the novel, we actually we have two male characters in the lead, right? So. This yeah. is his friend that he see, uh, and uh, his friend is probably open-minded to a degree, but the, it didn't seem like he was a coroner or anything. And certainly in the Japanese movie, Henry Sonata, is, uh, it's her ex-husband, and he's a researcher and writer of some kind. But uh, this coroner that uh, Jung Yin Young plays, um, I, I think that's something viewers are going to have a problem with, because he doesn't seem, he seems kind of mean, he's strange, he sleeps on his gun, he's in his in his office and uh, and he's, he's really fascinated with the case uh, he throws himself uh, heads, heads into it I didn't have a problem with it overall because I, I even though I didn't invest in the motherly connection of the character and I didn't really like him as a character because he seems kind of uh, standoffish 
it didn't bother me in the overall sense, but I, I can just imagine that uh, it, it's a hurdle to overcome. Was that your experience as well? Uh, his, um, I don't know if it's, it's his choice necessarily, Jung Yin Yang, but he certainly looks, uh, he has a look about him that uh, makes him seem a little bit, uh, what's this guy's deal? Is he going to be sympathetic or is he going to be be a little bit of a hard ass about things? Uh, you know. Two sides on that from, from my Western point of view, I agree with you entirely. I didn't like the character to start with and I, I grew to put up with him. You know, I certainly wasn't invested in him as a character, but in terms of the Korean obsessive side of me, what you've got to remember about this film is that Sunju, the, the main female character, is played by a lady called Shin Yun-kun and she was a star beyond star coming into this and she was going to explode career-wise even more afterwards. She did a series of films called My Wife is a Gangster, which brought the whole feisty female character just just shortly after My Sassy Girl started that whole thing. But what you've got to remember is that in the early 90s, cinema was in the re- a real, Korean cinema was in real problem. It, it was in the doldrums. And with everybody trying to do the traditional life. The men were out working. The only people that were going to the cinema were women. So female people, female actresses that became big, became big because they had female fans. Shin Yun Kyun did, as I said, she would do My Wife is a Gangster, the one, two, and three. Pardon me, they didn't um, exchange her for the third because they brought in the Taiwanese actress, uh, Chu Chi. You're right, they did, they did. Um, but she's always going to be associated with it. But a couple of years, two years before The Ring Virus, she did a film called Downfall, which was a massive success among women audiences. Um, It was about an orphan girl who was forced into prostitution. She falls in love with one of her clients, but she can't escape her pimp and those are extorting her and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she was also huge on television again, that's what women watched when they were, you know, homemakers. They'd be, you know, doing the dinner and have their TV shows on. She did a, a huge series called General Hospital again just before the ring virus. And just after the ring virus, they made that into a film. So this, the ring virus, in terms of the director's point of view, this was a vehicle for her. And what Korean cinema at that point was trying to do was trying to bring a younger demographic in. And by aiming it, at her, they could keep their core audience, but use the horror genre to try and grab the youth that were gravitating towards horror. So it, it was going to be a win-win-win. So if you if you like, when somebody looks at her as the main character, she's their heroine. So making him so off and so male, um, almost from my point of view, really quite fits with that from the people who who saw her as the massive star, even though he was a big hit too. That's my take on it. That's what allowed me to put up with him because I think he's there as a counterfoil to this massive star, this massive female star. If you look at it, it might be a little bit interesting to have those counterpoints. Not that Eber is a skeptic because they're both of the belief that this curse is real. But maybe his interest in it is a bit more perverse. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Not not necessarily self-serving, but more like, 
I don't care. Like, let's let's just head into this. But he, he's a hurdle to overcome, and they never really make him likable or even attempt after a while. They, they just sort of put this in place, and you deal with it or you don't deal with it. And I think it might be a hurdle, but I, I also put up with it. And, and the story moves on. It's not a badly paced film, despite being a static. And I think static works in his favor if you think of the sequence where she hits the uh, resort or the inn that the kids stayed at and you know in the corner is a tv and even that is kind of ominous without him going boom or anything yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, the cursed video itself with, with the l- low quality out of context unknown images the video static still hella spooky to me i re- it was spooky in ringo still is they they did a bang up job composing those uh, images really, uh, so, so so I wanted to take on that. If you think uh, back on my first statement, uh, the the static and slow uh, rather than uh, frantic horror is that something that is a sort of consistent quality within the film? Do you think that works in his favor? I think it works hugely in his favor. You know, um, uh, his decision to step away from that visceral and move to a more brooding type of thing even if it is in terms of being static i think works in its favor i think i think the ring virus is much more moody than than ringu i think it's in some ways gloomier and i and i like that about it i have to say if it had been made now it would have hopefully combined that with a bit of the other and that would have helped it but I didn't necessarily have a problem with it. And it does have to be said, out of all the Ring versions around the world that I've seen, I still would say the Ring virus is possibly my favourite. It's the one I'd be most ready to rewatch, and that's not just because it's Korean. Uh, how does the videotape play to you? Um... I, 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 I love the way they put together the imagery. It creeped me out. Because these are almost entirely new images. It has the text from the book, and the only shared image, I think, is of the well, really. The others are new dialogue. There's even dialogue in this. Uh, And not even those uh, floaty... uh, uh, the, the floaty text from the Japanese movie that's actually from a from a newspaper article. They don't even do that. So it's, it's really, they, they put together their own thing here. And I mean, it, it does have to be said, there there's some things that I'd remembered from this and some things I'd remembered from Ringu. And I actually was surprised when the, when the video clip was actually shown because I'd forgotten that it had that recorded over a bit blocking out the way to beat the curse. And when I saw that, I was actually surprised. Yeah, yeah, they've recorded over uh, with uh, like uh, 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 bits of television, uh, right? Uh, has been recorded over the very end of the message. And when I went to rewatch Ringu again, I automatically assumed that that would be the case, and when it wasn't, I was almost a little disappointed because I liked that. I liked the fact that your answer would have been there, except somebody's taped over it. And now, now you're done. You know, now you're gone. I think this is better, other than. The images from, which I still don't understand, or I forgot the explanation in Ringo, of, uh, you know, the persons that are crawling both forwards and backwards simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh, that, that just uh, makes me want to slice my wrists because that that's just uh, creepy as hell. I don't remember if they have explained that in Ringo. I, I certainly didn't notice an explanation of it. Which just makes the hair stand up even more. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I like the cut to uh, Sunju throwing up afterwards uh, after she's seen the tape. She looks like she's in control, but this did affect her. Uh, even if it's 
part of the curse or not. And there's some good shot instincts afterwards here. Uh, after taking the photo, she sees the photo where her face is twisted. And then a le- little bit later, she wakes up to an out-of-focus image of her daughter. They're almost married images um, as such, but they don't make it boom, super creepy. All of it is sort of, it's da- sometimes dangerously underplayed because they, do, they just treat this as a matter-of-fact mystery and they move on with it without adhering to... Uh, horror audiovisual uh, tropes uh, as such uh, but uh, it, it's always on, on the move I think uh, the, the the pair are not necessarily you know this great movie pair uh, you you wonder though as you as you as you watch it I mean he, he's not bad I think they, this is the role uh, Jung Jin Young is given and he certainly looks the part um, I can imagine he's played a bad guy or two in his years oh yes he's he's you know if if, if you remember Jan Jing's Guns and Talks sort of gangster film he was he was in that he was in Yi Chang Dong's Green Fish he was in, he was actually in Taxi Driver from Jong Hoon just a, a couple of years ago and he's just recently been in Svaha the Sixth Finger which is another you know spiritual creepy horror so he, he's played a lot of horror people he's played a lot of bad guys he's played a lot of tough guys and just looking at him he, he kind of looks tough if he can actually just get off the medical bench that he's half sleeping on you know exactly it's a, it's a weird intro and uh, even his coroner's office has the flickering fluorescent lights I mean come on really okay at least the movie wasn't about flickering fluorescent lights, but it's sort of like, yeah, I'm in a horror movie because no one's fixing the damn lights. Yeah, you know, and it does have to be said, you've got to give him points for as well as he can, getting through the explanations of how he's come up with the latest piece of the investigation. You know, he goes from nowhere to from, oh, I think it's probably paranormal to someone with telekinetic powers has made this videotape. It hasn't been filmed. You just think, where did you get that from? Where did that Where did that come from? And he almost gets away with it, even though you do sit and go, yeah, that's a bit of a jump there. Mm. But, you know, the best movies sometimes are, I'm okay with that. No, not that this is the best movie, but uh, I'm, I'm s- sometimes okay with uh, yeah, that's fine. I'll buy it. Uh, and and th- this movie is not at too anxious about exposition either. No, totally. It, it totally. spreads out the details, and therefore it makes it easy to follow, which I appreciate because you can get lost in pseudoscience mumbo jumbo quite easily, and it really doesn't. And and I do like those uh, images of the tape. Uh, they're about real and abstract. That, that, that was a very neat uh, aspect of this film that isn't in Ringu. Yeah. Uh, even though he might make that determination to. Uh, yeah, too quickly but uh, I, I, thought, I thought that was nice and even creepy to an extent because they, they're not working digital here so obviously when they um, analyze the VHS tape they have to go frame by frame but it's going to come with video static as you have it on pause you know you're not getting a clean image so um, and who knows if you're going to catch that frame even if you go frame by frame you know what I mean like it's, yeah it's, exactly, it's, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult tool um, or object to um to to analyze uh, if we talk a little bit of the character of Park Eun Soo I suppose it, it's not a spoiler as such because she she's listed in the credits uh, so uh, as I said they they designate um, an actress to this part that though they might have done it in the Japanese movie I, I, I simply do not know and we never see Sadako's face in Ringo uh, not her we 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 see a supernatural manifestation of her but in uh, Ring Virus, we do see the Korean Sadako as Park Unsu in glimpses uh, here and there. Uh, 10, 15 seconds or so, no dialogue. Uh, but they did cast an actress. Um, 
I don't know if she was of note in TV or such, but it's certainly her first movie role. And uh, why don't you tell us, Paul, uh, who plays uh, Korea's Sadako in <laughs> Revirus? The wonderful, the talented, the amazing Beiduna. And what my people have to say, um, if they don't know the name, where have they seen Beiduna? Uh, You'll have seen her in, in numerous, numerous um, films like Parchanuk's Symphony for Mr. Vengeance, July Jung's Girl at My Door from a couple of years ago. She did other really well thought of little romance comedies like Saving My Hubby. Um, most recently, she has been doing a, a Netflix series that's been highly lauded by everybody really called kingdom she was in bong joon ho's the host um she's a huge actress and she still managed to hold on to her independence she's got one of those faces that when you see it you will recognize her if you've seen any she's even done she did an american movie called cloud atlas um with tom hanks which wasn't a great film but she's certainly memorable in it she's one of my favorite actresses and yes this was her first film role and prior to this she'd only done one short television series so this is right at the start of her career before she was of note for anything and her career not too many years after this just went through the roof quite rightly so because her talent is just astonishing and they do show flashes of her face and her eyes in the backstory that they build, which is different uh, in many ways versus uh, Ringo. So that that's why we're sort of like, oh my god, yeah, that's her. That's how we totally. can see her now. It's, she she doesn't just act with the hair over her eyes uh, in the flashbacks. And I think I, I think that's uh, a compelling part as that story is uh, revealed uh, to us as they get to the island. Uh, it's it's kind of introduced as matter of fact because the one or two of the islanders, if you will, they uh, they're, they're quick to believe that there might be might have been something to her psychic uh, abilities. So that matter of fact, sort of just say it in the movie. That's been in the first half of the movie, if I'm explaining that very well, fits more here because it seems like uh, they they're not dealing with skeptics on this uh, remote island that uh, they're at at uh, for. A, uh, for a couple of days and uh, we obviously get this sort of similar family history presented to us we get the flashbacks that our main characters for some reason take part in it's one of my favorite aspects of this story that we don't know if they're gaining esp or access to these memories as part of the curse or if they both of them uh, possess something that they don't know about but they certainly get transferred to these flashbacks of uh, uh, they demonstrate that uh, Unsu can predict uh, dice rolls, for instance, um, uh, which is similar to the Japanese movie, but there, there's some extra violence there, I think, uh, yeah. in terms of her uh, deadly abilities, Sadako's uh, deadly abilities. Uh, and so that that island section I really like because um, that that vibe of uh, that it's not about, like, we, we don't believe a thing you're saying get out of here you stupid city people it's sort of like yeah there was something to it and this was in the past and this is the family history i mean um they they even hint at the fact that she uh, was like a club girl uh, at one point and uh, they're, they're, they're clever little flashbacks that again almost dangerously underplay because hmm, what's going on here but we somehow get the full picture without them stopping it yeah. for five minutes to explain it all and obviously with the, the stuff with the half-brother that uh, perhaps we shouldn't explain too much is uh, 
new to this movie versus at least uh, the Japanese movie. Which is another uh, another nicely thought-provoking thing, um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, like you said, we shouldn't talk too much about that. But but it is I I, I enjoyed um, actually very much that um, that uncovering of uh, artifacts, uh, memories, and things like that from Umsu's life. Uh, uh, that, that was quite engaging. The, that, that would make for a good Korean prequel, Ring Virus. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Which never happened. So, well, what did you think as the focus became more on Unsu, her life, and um, how she plays into the curse of it all? I, I think that for me, that, that's where Ring Virus really found its strength. I loved that island section as well, and I, I almost got the feeling that they, especially uh, Sunju. Um, we're we're seeing these flashbacks because of a link to the girl herself, and and that was drawing Sinju closer. And if you think of the the whole mothering thing that she wasn't really doing with her daughter, it sort of fits there as well. It just there are lots of ways f- to read into it if you feel the need. And I like the fact that you've got a lot of options where these could be coming from, rather than some exposition of oh yeah, th- this was blah blah blah. That really worked for me, and it, it's it revamped any flagging interest I might have been having. It drew me back in. So, and especially with the whole Beiduna deal, um, I was I was hooked from the moment her face appears full screen for a couple of seconds, and you just go, oh, Beiduna, I'm I'm in. I've I've put my feet up on the couch, and I just get on with it. Yeah, cool. And, and they're nicely um, crafted. Uh black and white, very grainy sequences. They're quite competent, competently made. It's not a stunning-looking film, actually, but the filmmaking, I think, is elevated a little bit more when they when they flash back, when they actually amp-style, like added grain, and they certainly pull off the videotape uh, uh, montage uh, very, very well. Totally. And I mean, on that subject, you know, I do like his directorial style right from the start. You know, you'll, you'll see him constantly suddenly briefly focusing on just a big glass of coca-cola or he'll be looking at a character and he's got a camera crane going right over the top of them and down the other side and it it just it gives it a flair that maybe the budget wouldn't have otherwise allowed and that works well through those flashback sequences too you know i i think he deserves kudos for that uh, some of my last notes are, I'm, I'm going to keep them spoiler free, but I, I want to reference some bits from the end. I mean, you, you will get it, but uh, I, I still wanted to mention it because uh, they're, they're compliments to uh, to the style and uh, content. So I think some of the most terrifying yet oddly soothing imagery takes place in the well at the end, which would be familiar to anyone who has seen Ringo as well. Uh, but But they do a shot... Uh, underneath the water involving wet hair that just like ah (laughs) it's uh but it also is combined with an act of tenderness that's really nice balancing the scenes very terrifying but an act of tenderness i won't say anything else and and they also do the famous scene of course the famous scene the one that everybody remembers they do that well it's um as slow as it should be so therefore the, the creeping horror that comes up on you is all the more terrifying because it doesn't happen fast it happens slow and i wanted to say something out of context for new uh, viewers of course but you, you will notice there's a jump cut in the video at the end before the big the, the big surprising thing happens you know because uh, we, we we see 
something moving in the video in the end, but there's a jump cut. You know, we don't follow the entire walk, right? Mm. And that's, oh, that's super terrible. Yes. I love yeah. it. And that wasn't entirely similar in Ringo either. They do a video static differently, which, which I know it doesn't sound like a big deal. So what? They did a video differently, but that's such a crucial part of um, the creepy, ominous factor to craft this video. And that's not easy, Paul. It's not easy at all. Totally not. And that, 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 like you said, that jump cut is deeply effective. And Because you think you're sort of safe. Okay, if you walk slowly enough, I'm not going to be scared. And I know this is out of context again, but uh, fuck it. Uh, and when the jump cut happens and the thing is closer, that's, uh, you know, grasp your seat kind of terror. And they, they totally. do that scene uh, well enough. There are directorial touches in, in Ringo that are unique to it. Uh, so, so yeah, without spoiling it, I mean, it's you you the famous scene you remember of course but uh in a general sense without spoiling it how do you think uh, kim dong bim pulled off the scene that should be the most uh memorable in uh in a ring remake i think he pulled it off beautifully i think he it, it that in, it's, in itself shows that even though he's so reserved through the whole film he knows how to pull a little jump start out of even you know jaded film fans it works it works beautifully and the special effects of the time are quite okay yeah they're, they're, there's no problem and yeah you can tell us a special effect there's a certain characters moving through something to get somewhere um if i can not do any spoilers um but but it's effective enough for whatever they had to do to get it done it works for me but from the moment the island section starts um the ring virus didn't falter for me right to the end and i find that that final deal quite refreshing i guess refreshingly professional refreshingly entertaining in a in a generally creepy way and it, in the end funnily enough if you watch these back to back the redundancy factor isn't a terrible problem because there are there are flaws here, there are weaknesses here, but there are chops of their own that they bring. And even if they are making some uh, some of the staging in a very similar way, and obviously are doing some some scenes, you know, even beat by beat similar, for some reason they they avoid a negative grade on that. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't my problem. That oh, this is too similar. My my problem was. Uh, a little bit uh, character-wise, you know, mm, yeah, um, yeah. which is good, I suppose, that uh, that ring virus isn't diminished just because some of the direction is almost like they have the VHS of uh, Ringo and where's the camera in their shot? We're going to do the same thing. Place the camera right there. You see it, guys? Cool. Let's, let's just copy everything. And that, that never turned into a negative for me that some of the things are quite uh, staged quite similar. I agree, and some of them are almost beat for beat as they were in Ringu. But I think he he can step away a little bit every now and again, and maybe that was inadvertent. I don't know, but it it almost it refreshes it enough that it doesn't feel as much, or it didn't feel to me as much of a beat for beat rehash as it possibly actually is. It, it, I was okay with it. It it held my attention pretty well. I, a lot of that's going to be because my first rewatch was of the ring virus rather than Ringo. But I think it, it, it still have held up as far as I can 
think off the top of my head. And they introduced this uh, notion of uh, the curse being a virus, which is pretty neat and uh, a little chilling factor, if you will. If they they um, they compare it to a virus in a way, and uh, I think the books have dealt with uh, the, the the curse has been transferred through different means. In the books, uh, if I read things correctly, it wasn't always a cursed videotape or anything, and and it got even more impossible to uh, to stop you know spreading like a virus spreading like a pandemic almost uh, so there, there, there seem to be some nice ideas across ring spiral and loop uh, so um it uh, and, and i don't know anything if uh, all of them have been localized into english or anything but uh, it's certainly worth looking into and uh, there, there's certainly interest i think in the entire uh, ring cycle so so hopefully they have translated them over the years they've had they've had a few years to to come to that determination if uh, ring in written form is worth translating because it's been around for quite a while so, so i'm sure they have um so i i think i'll conclude my notes right there have some problems and i think uh, it's going to be a, a little bit of a slog for new viewers at times there's some character issues to uh, to uh, try and set aside, uh, which I could in the end. So uh, I'll say I think this works uh, reasonably well, especially during the second half. So I'll uh, conclude my notes there. So if you want to say anything in else or summarize, uh, summarize, then you're welcome to do so. I'm simply, this isn't the greatest Korean horror you're ever going to see, but it is pretty classic. And there are, in spite of, the odd character problem um there are a lot of reasons why you should give the ring virus a chance if you're a fan of ring check it out to see the the slightly different beats that feel to me just far more korean if you're a fan of beidou now you've got to watch it there's no option gotta watch every second of her filmography including the 10 seconds here (laughs) exactly um you know it it's it's not going to rock your world but it certainly didn't bore me the first time I saw it, it didn't bore me on a rewatch. I think he did fine, and I think it's a it's a worthy version of a very very classic story. Um, and it it works as well as it works because he did a good job. And as for availability of the Ring Virus on DVD, there there were a couple of um, English friendly DVD releases back in the day uh, from Korea, from Hong Kong. Uh, but the most readily available seems to be a Tai Seng DVD released for the UK, which is um, uh, good subtitles. Uh, it, it's not a splendid transfer or anything. It's quite dated, but uh, you know it's priced very reasonably as well. So uh, you know it's it's readily available. That's the point. But uh, it um, it wouldn't hurt if this got uh, an HD uh, upgrade. Uh, uh, but uh, I got into it, so there's obviously no. Uh, no problem and uh, there were some extras scattered around the disc as well but nothing uh, no you know no big documentary or any interviews or anything like that but uh, uh, go get the uk dvd so uh, i think uh, you'll be happy um, uh, with the price and the presentation and especially because the price is going to be so reasonable um it's well worth checking out just to check something different out something classic it does have to be said, I mean, I got it a lot of years ago, and even then I found it in a, you know, second-hand sell-your-stuff-here store, and the DVD for me then cost one pound. If I'd have known Beidou now I was there, I'd have given them a fiver, but... <laughs> this is for the girl in it, okay. Even, ba- even back in the day, it was, it was seen as 
you know, a, a decent enough film, but it's kind of just a remake of, of Ring, which I think is unfair to it. But check your local DVD stores if they're actually open during lockdown. Or, or, or the Amazon Marketplace, which is where I found yeah, it. Yeah, and you may find it for absolutely next to nothing, and for next to nothing, it's definitely worth it. It's kind of the deal with uh, a lot of the old uh, Tartan Asia Extreme DVDs. Uh, they aren't going for very much, so you, you can take a chance on the Korean cinema horror that they uh, that they did release. Uh, I mean, Tale of Two Sisters, uh, it's, it's had a Blu-ray upgrade by now, but you, you can get things like Phone for very cheap, and it's got subtitled extras. I bought... Uh, uh, not on your recommendation, but more like, oh, there's a movie exists that's called Cello. I'm going to buy it just because of that. Oh, boy, it's super cheap. Because it, that, yeah. that, that was also taught in Asia Extreme. Uh, film, and you got some subtitle making offs on it. So, I mean, it's worth the fiver you pay for it, uh, even in uh, 2020. Definitely. You know, considering the back in the day when, when I, I was buying things like Cello and A Tale of Two Sisters on Tartan, they were an awful lot of money. They were really expensive for way back then. You know, you're talking 15, 20 quid, certainly in, in London. So, you know, if you can get it for a fiver, you're saving money 20 years down the line that you didn't even know you were saving. Exactly. So it's worth t- taking a chance on, on certain titles uh, based on that because a cello, like, what is the cello about? Is, there, is it a murderous cello? Is the case going to chase you? It's not that. But I, I bought it just because uh, why not satisfy my curiosity for very little money? Exactly. At any rate, um, coming up in uh, during the year, we're, we're going to stick to horror. We have a plan to go through another classic new Korean cinema horror series that uh, wasn't made three years in a row or anything. It was spread out. So uh, uh, because um, we're going to tackle across the next three episodes. Uh, I suppose it's dubbed the high school horror uh, horror series or whatever, but it's not really fair, I suppose, um, that they're all lumped into one one name and one name only. Mm. But across three episodes, we're going to look at Whispering Corridors, that's the first one. Memento Mori. And the third movie, which is Wishing Stairs. Did I got that right? Get that right? You did, and you got the order right, too. And uh, so that's coming up, uh, but no determined release dates. But we're going to stick to, uh, you know, new Korean cinema horror. But, you know, the last one is made at least, you know, uh, the last one out of those three. It's made at least, you know, five years after the first, maybe more. So. So it's not like they made these uh, uh, rapidly or anything. Uh, so that's uh, coming up. But uh, in the meantime, for all your podcast on fire network needs, including the back catalog of uh, What's Korean Cinema episodes and bonus episodes, go to podcastonfire.com, follow the social media links and uh, any relevant links uh, that uh, have come up in um, any topics that come up in discussion that might need a relevant link. I'll place that in the show post, so check it out. I'll keep the plugs short and throw over to you for a plug of your website, Paul. And again, you know, um, if you're any interest in Korean cinema at all, pop over to hangosalia.com. We've done a lot of ooing and eyeing about actress Beiduna. If you're a fan of hers or you want to know more about her, um, I interviewed her, I think, in 2015. There's an interview on the site. I know Kenny Bay will, will link to it in his notes and whatever. Um, if you're interested, go and check it out. It was a nice little interview. Lovely lady. Speaks English at all, or that was through translation? Speaks as much English as she can. She she's Her English is actually quite good, but 
she's convinced it's not. So there's a, a lady who wrote a really seminal book on Korean cinema in the UK called uh, Dr. Ginny Che, and she actually was there as a translator, and she spent most of the, the interview just sitting, listening, as Beidi Na spoke English, but there were a couple of times when she had something complicated to say that she'd just pop into Korean, but her English is actually very good. What, what, what was the uh, because because Cloud Atlas is all so all over the place? I believe uh, like Tom Hanks plays several parts and all of that. So, uh, was her role English language or Korean? As a matter of fact, uh, her role was English language. It's essentially it's an English language deal. I mean, even you know even some of the Asian characters in that weren't actually Asian; they were Asianed up, which I find deeply offensive. She is a, a, a feisty lady, shall we say? I won't take it any further than that. You know, um, there's also, when I think of it, there's another American movie she was in. I can't remember who else is in the cast, but it's a film called Jupiter Ascending, in which she plays a fiery biker chick. So, you know, it's not that great a movie either. It's kind of all over the place. But if you want to see Beidou Na on a flying motorbike, that's that's where you want to go with purple hair. Uh, she's worked for the Wachowski uh, sisters twice. It's their movies, Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending was both... Um uh that was them so cool um i have not seen it i just know that um, they're um they, they weren't that well received at the time at least financially so yeah at any rate we'll uh, be back to uh continue uh, with the um, korean cinema horror uh, whether it's um gently spooky or hugely creepy and gory we'll see because i haven't seen either of them but there are some interesting topics within them and certainly um their breakthrough in the early life of uh, new Korean cinema is uh, worthy of a discussion. So we'll be back to uh, do that during 2021. But in the meantime, I'm in Kennedy and uh, with me to discuss the ring virus uh, was uh, Paul Queen, who's promptly thrown out his VHS player never to return to his flat again. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as I say, since I've had to watch, not had to, but I've put myself into watching four films all related to phones over the last four nights. I, I think I'm probably going to throw out my phone as well. <laughs> no landline for me. <laughs> no, no, I'll just get rid of the mobile. I'll get rid of everything. You know, <laughs> just I'll go back to the pigeons, pigeons with notes on their legs. It work, that'll work better. Well, uh, you do that and then say goodbye to the kids who are listening. Lovely to chat to you guys. Thanks for listening. And do pop along to hear us talking about the uh, the girl school horror series. Um, should be fun. <laughs>